Welcome to Conversations with Alan Wolper, a half-hour audio biography featuring unique personalities whose lives and ideas are on the cutting edge. Alan Wolper is an award-winning journalist and a professor at Rutgers University, Newark. And now, here's Conversations with Alan Wolper. Chocolate Jarrett has played his bucket drums at the Grammys, at the Tonys, and at the Academy Awards, on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, on The Late Show with David Letterman, on Saturday Night Live, in a movie with Mel Gibson, in a movie with Sharon Stone, and on Broadway, in the four-time Tony Award-winning musical, Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk. Chocolate, welcome to Conversations with Ellen Wolper. Hello, thanks for having me. Chocolate Jarrett. Yes. I don't know many people called Chocolate. How did you get your name? <laughs> um, well, I actually got my name Chocolate in high school. Julia Richmond High School. Yes, Julia Richmond High School for, from all of the girls that used to sit at the table to wait for me at lunchtime to come sing to them. And um, when I used to arrive <clears throat> walking to the table, they would um, call me. Um, it was Eddie Murphy. You know, movie coming to America. He has the guy um, sexual chocolate in it, and um, he would stomp and like sexual chocolate, sexual chocolate. So the girls would stomp and say, "Chocolate, sexual chocolate, come sing for us." And it would be a table full of females in just one seat for me. And I used to pull out a quarter or a pen, do the beat on the table on the desk, and I used to sing for them. And um, that's how I got the name Chocolate. And then by Growing up and then going on tour with Lauren Hill and her calling chocolate throughout her whole tour, it just stuck. And then from there, chocolate. Chocolate, yeah. chocolate. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be like chocolatey, like, you know, because I'm dark-skinned chocolate. It's just like kind of like Eminem. He's just, it's just Eminem. It's just the same thing, but it doesn't mean that he's trying to be an Eminem. So I'm not trying to make it like I'm chocolate, Mr. Chocolate Guy, but it's just chocolate. It's just stuck. C-H-O-C-L-A-T-T. That's how I spell it. And that's how I got the name Chocolate. Well, let's let's go to the streets first. Let's let's see if we get a an audio picture of you on a subway station in Midtown Manhattan. Um, well, basically, I started probably around the age of fourteen, playing in the train stations with my brother, um, Larry Wright. Um, we would play every day, um, all the time, and um, you know, we playing buckets probably kind of saved us from hanging in the streets of Harlem, uptown, where we were from. So we would go downtown to 42nd Street and make money playing on buckets, and it was great. Every day was a different adventure. Well, tell us about those adventures. Like, first we would start on um, 42nd Street, Times Square, um, where the shuttle is connected to the NNER, the Q, the 1 and 9, the AC and the E. And um, basically it was a great spot for us because, you know, all of the traffic flow right there. So we would get everyone come, people come from school, um, to come watch us and play and give us money. And girls would give us their phone number, say, hey, you're cute. Well, you know, I watched some video of you and uh, I was struck by the fact that people are walking by and they're throwing dollar bills and sometimes $50, $100 bills in. And you don't look up. You can't always acknowledge everyone. And a lot of times, you know, when, when I play, I lose myself. So sometimes I probably didn't even see them. If somebody actually tapped you on the shoulder and said, uh, thank you, you just kept you just kept hitting those things. Yeah, I keep hitting them. Some people, you know, you catch the eye and you acknowledge, thank you. But 
you know, I think people appreciate it more when you're into it. I'm just trying to remember, how did you get those drums or whatever those things you played with? Buckets. <laughs> buckets, yeah. Where'd you get the buckets? Oh, well, we would get them from the crackheads. Um, basically, you know, growing up in, in the streets of Harlem. You and know, what year was this? This was probably 89, 90, 91. So, so during a period there. when uh, when there were a lot of crackheads in Harlem. Yeah, yeah. Crack, crack was in full effect at that time. And um, we would pay them $3 a piece for um, buckets, and they would come back with stacks and stacks of buckets. From where? The dumpsters, construction sites, anywhere. Sometimes the restaurants would buy pickles, five gallons of pickles and the empty buckets, and, you know, they would get them. They would come with about 10 of them apiece. And you would decide which ones you're going to use? Yeah, they would line them up for us. They would clean them because some of them would be dirty and full of whatever. They would clean them, go to the fire hydrant, clean them out. And then we would just pick which ones we, we wanted to play on. But how we would pick, we would turn them over and hit to see the sound. And how did you know which was the best sound? Like, it's just certain things. Like, when we uh, make the snare and the kick, it just has that pop. Like, for instance, five-gallon joint compound buckets are the best-sounding bucket drums. This is for all you people out there who want to go to 42nd Street. <laughs> yeah, those are the best because the plastic was made a, a bit different than um, some of the other buckets. I'm having a visualizing the two of you, you and your brother, and uh, people coming by and looking at all that money. Uh, yeah. How did you protect yourself from uh, people who wanted to join in uh, your collection? <laughs> we had what you call goons. 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 G-O-O-N-S. Yes. Goons are just your, basically your, your security. You know, like we, we would play and people wouldn't know they, they, were, they were with us. They, you would have no idea they were a part of our um, clique or, as you say, entourage. They would be over there or standing another way or we have another... A guy over there, and it's usually cousins, best friends, you know. They would all come, and we would just pay everybody. Like, hey, we'll pay you $25 to come downtown and just hang out with us and just look out. You know, we would get, like, two guys, and then we would hire another one of our uncles or friends to carry our buckets. We call our, our yo man. It was like a little business, you know. Do people, did people try to put their hands in there until, I mean, that happened, I assume. Actually, we would just, we'd buy, the, buy everyone. We would just love and just... And just um, welcome. Like, nobody never really, really tried it. We had problems with the police. That was, ah, the those, cop. I was just about to ask you. Yeah. The police. Yeah, those those were our problem guys sometimes, you know. But not all of them. Some of them were cool. Or some of them, some of them would be like, you know, like, the people like at the store sometimes would complain about the noise. But then you would have the guy next door that appreciated us being out there because we bring in the traffic. So it would be like a, you know, a love-hate thing sometimes. Or some police officers would get calls and they would be like, you know, hey, we don't mind you guys playing here, but our sergeant is out here. So if you guys just chill out for a little while, our sergeant is going to leave in 15 minutes. Our, our shift is over and you guys can play. You know, but then sometimes it would be good or bad because then you have to deal with the next batch of cops who may who may not want us to play at all. On a different shift. Yeah. Different eight to shifts. four, four to eight. Yeah. You started during the uh, administration of the late mayor, Edward Koch. Yes. And you, I remember you saying that it was easier to play in the Koch administration than the administration that followed. Yes. Rudolph Giuliani. Explain that. Oh, uh, when Giuliani came into office. 1993. Ninety three. It was. It, it got really. It got. It got a little bit harder, especially on Forty Second Street, because um, they changed a lot of the laws, and they made it to a street performer. You had to audition now, and they would give you a, an appointed spot in this this flag. I think it's called City in the New York or Street in the New York, but we never 
we never even considered it. We just did what we did and we made our money, you know, the way we, the best way we could. And um, a lot of times it worked. But as it went on, it got a little bit worse. Well, how to explain how that, how it got worse exactly? Um, you just couldn't play anywhere. Like all of our good spots where we would make our good money. How they, much money we're talking kinda, about here? Hmm. One day we could we could come home. One day, good three four hundred dollars a piece. You know, a bad day, two hundred two hundred dollars a piece. And this is cash. Yeah, all all cash. And that the thing I think what they had the problem was is it was tax free money. And, um, mm. you know, and they, you know, the government don't like when people are making tax-free money, and a lot of it, you know. So from there, um, I think that's why they did it, you know, because we were making money. Not even us. We would have um, other guys, break dancers and stuff. They would make as, just as well as us buckets of money. Buckets, buckets of money. Buckets of money buckets from banging money. on the box. Buckets, buckets right? of money, yeah. And you, I remember you saying that you pretty much timed everything. You weren't playing on Broadway yet. But you knew when the shows were starting, when they yeah. ended, when the schools were starting, when they ended. Yes. And so you were, you actually were using the schedules to make sure that you made the most amount of money, right? Yes. Yeah, we had a little schedule. It, we would start at maybe 2 o'clock till about 5 o'clock is the train station. You know, that's when all everybody's coming from school and everyone's coming from work. And then after, between 5 and 7, we would take a break. But then around 7.30, now you go outside. Now... The streets are getting flooded in Times Square because all of the Broadway plays start at 8 o'clock. So now everybody's going to the Broadway plays, so we would catch everyone going to the Broadway plays. And if, till this day, if you go out to 42nd Street and you stand up there, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It gets crowded from 7 to 8 o'clock. After 8 o'clock, it slows down out there. We take a break, chill out, you know, drink a beer or whatever. Then 9, 10 is intermission at Five Guys Named Mo. And you're going to give us an example of exactly how that worked. Yeah, yeah. Five guys named on 9.10, and then maybe another Cats will let out at 9.25, their intermission. So we would go over there after that, and we would do it to about three or four theatrical shows that we had, our, our specific spots that we would play, and the cops wouldn't bother us. Meanwhile, I want to tell everybody, they're listening to Conversations with Alan Walper on WBGO 88.3 FM. And WBGO.org. Our guest is Chocolate Jared, one of America's best bucket drummers. Listen to this and you'll know how he makes his sticks talk. Your first big break, Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Um, my first big break, Spike Lee in this group by the name of Naughty by Nature. They had featured my brother and I in a video called Hip Hop Hooray, which was a big record. And we were um, featured in the video numerous of times. And even at the end of the video, it would just have our buckets playing. And they, they had a hook that would go, hey, oh, hey. Hey, how did he find you? Was he walking down the street and said, oh, my God, I like that guy? How did he find you? Yeah, well, um, actually, Spike had, um, Spike, you know, used to always, any and everybody went through Times Square. You'd be surprised who, who you would see walking through Times Square. And uh, my brother had did a, a commercial with him, from a Levi's commercial with him, like, f- oh, a little bit before that, um, from 
discovering the industry. I wasn't there. He was playing in the street. Spike Lee seen him. He wound up doing a commercial. From there, we gained a relationship with Spike as I came along. And um, from there, um, Spike would always just, you know, look out for us, anything he had. We actually was um, also in a Michael Jackson video that never made it to air. It never made it because it, um, we were in the winter and Michael Jackson and were in Brazil. A song called um, All I Want to Say Is That They Don't Really Care About Us. And, um, Can you Sp- sing that? Um, How'd it sound? Let me hear. Um, all I want to say is that... I don't know all the lyrics, but it's like... Well, play a couple. Me, Let me hear a couple. Sing me something to the ding me. All I want to say is that they don't really care about us. Uh, 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 uh. All I want to say is that they don't really care about us. And then I don't know all the words, but the, the melodies. I just knew that they made Michael Jackson cut out Jumi in the song. Why? I, um, I think it was some, it probably was political or something like that. But I remember that them having that situation about that song. And I remember, I remember a, a scene that I saw you with, to get off the subject just a bit, with Mel Gibson in oh, Conspiracy Theory. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. You're on yeah. the street and here he comes, this whacked out, excuse me, yeah. uh, cab driver. Go, yeah. Remember, go back to that. Let's, what was that about? Um, well, um, at the time, I was on Broadway, bringing in those, bringing the phone. We probably, probably was in our like second year of running. And um, I get off stage and I go to my dressing room. Um, and then I get a knock at the door. You know, music is blasting them, half-dressed. Open the door. It's Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow. So he's like, he introduces himself to me. He said, the show was great. I really enjoyed it. You had me... Which show is this? Chair. Bringing it on, bringing the funk. Okay. And um, so I'm um, backstage, and he talks to me. He said, we're in town filming this movie. The conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory. And he said, I have a great idea. As me watching you just now in your performance, I have a great idea that I would love to stick in the movie. Um, you know, I'm filming it with Julia Roberts. He he asked me, you know, would I be interested? I was like, sure. And, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, right? <laughs> and he asked me, he said, we filming it tomorrow, though. <laughs> I'm like, well, hey, okay. So he talked to my agent. He made sure that check was right. It put, put me in a suite night before and um we we did the scene and, um, and it was it was great he was totally welcoming he was totally a warm person he actually gave me his shirt he gave shirt me a, off his back huh? yeah he gave me a Versace shirt he was wearing his Versace shirt and um the the stylist was making a big deal out of it like oh no you can't allow it. he gave me the shirt so you can have it and he get, he, he put on another shirt so the shirt in that in that scene he, he gave and the me. scene, as I recall, he's driving, and all of a sudden he sees you guys, and he starts banging on the windows. Was that mm-hmm. him, or was that a double? No, that was him. He actually is driving a cab and pulls over to talk yeah. to his friend, and he splashes water on us. And he pisses us off, and I jump up, and like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and then he's just like, you know, like like the usual cab driver, pay you no mind, like whatever. And then we start playing, and he starts to play with us, the rhythm, and it's, it's really great. Really oh. great. That's a memorable moment. Yeah, Moments. Very rem- rem- memorable moment. Yeah. Thank you, Mel Gibson, for that. Okay, Mel, you heard that. If it, wherever you are, remember, he, uh, Chocolate remembers. Also, there were other places there you would see you were in a movie with uh, Sharon Stone. Yes. Sliver. Yes. How we got in that movie, um, we was playing on 44th Street in um, Broadway, and um, Sharon Stone, and I think her director or someone was like walking in the street, walking by, and... They was like, hey, we, we, we got an idea for the movie. Actually, it's her and William Baldwin is in the movie, I believe. One of the Baldwin brothers. And um, 
and it was a cameo and us playing and her and him, they walk it on the sidewalk and they stop to watch us. It seems that everything seems to happen to you on the streets. I don't, I don't get it. You just, yeah. People just knew you were there. Um, well, you know, people are passing by in Times Square. You know, you got all of the theaters and, and, and everything going on down there. So you have all different types of people down there walking and, 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 and um, you know, going to the movies or going in studios. You know, so every everyone is in Times Square. You know, you, you have no idea who's passing by in a car if you're just walking down the street. And to us, the streets was like our agent. I'm just going to ask you if that was the truth. The, the streets was our agent. And when we were young, you know, we were playing the streets and we would get seen and, and get discovered. You know, it was like that's that was everything for us. You know, the the sun was our lights. The world was our audience and the sidewalk was our stage, you know, and we did it every day. Every day. Every day, Monday to Sunday? Monday to Sunday, except on Sundays we would play in Central Park and make about a grand a day. Excuse me? Yeah. $1,000 a day? One day, Central Park. In Central Park? Not yes. 1000 a piece. No, nah, 1000 together. Good. Together, yeah. You make me feel really poor right now. <laughs> $1,000 of playing on sticks. My goodness. Yeah, how about, it was great. How about the rest of this group? I saw, let's see, we saw you in the Saturday Night Live, Letterman, Leno. Did they all, that all happen in the streets, or did oh. at least you get an agent to take care of that? Oh, it kind of came from doing different things. Like Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, I've been blessed to play on there three times. I actually got a chance to play with the band, my brother and I, on the buckets with the Saturday Night Live band. Jamie Foxx was the... The, the guest host. Then I played for Lauren Hill on a Miseducation album and tour, world tour. We performed there. And then I also played with Khalees on a Britney Spears tour, Black Onyx tour, which we performed on there as well. And Jay Leno with Bringing Us, Bringing the Funk. Um, Rosie O'Donnell. With I saw you with Rosie times. O'Donnell. She was sort of sitting in the middle between the, between yeah, the two of you. Yeah, Rosie's my friend. That's my good friend. I love Rosie. She's actually one of my good friends. I actually gave her a lesson on her show on how to play the buckets. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. I wasn't sure she'd taken too much she was out okay. of that lesson. She was okay. Yeah. She wasn't bad at all. Rosie can play a little bit. You know, she has to keep her humor and her comedy, but she had a little a little beat going on. I remember that. Bring in the noise, bring in the funk on Broadway. Yes. Yes. That was a dream come true. Never thought. And it's crazy as the theater I used How to How did play. that happen? Well, um, Savion Glover is a great friend of mine and brother. Uh, We've known each other for a while, for a long time. And someone that Gregory Hines called possibly the best tap dancer who ever lived. Yes. Yes. The best. Yes. Yes. There, there, are, there are a lot of great tap dancers out there and good tap dancers out there. But Savion is definitely one of the best and amongst the best as well. Um, but basically, we um, to get back to my story... We were doing um, tours. We would do New England. Savion would have these tours. With He would feature um, older tap guys who he came up from, like Lon Chaney, Buster Brown, Jimmy Slide. And um, he would have my brother and I, you know, a part of the tour as well. And um, we were running around New England and everywhere, so we end up in Paris. So we're in Paris, drinking, doing music. We Actually, um, we would do music. I would do beats. We're talking about Paris, France, not Paris, New York, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not Paris, France, yeah. <laughs> we were in Paris. Paris or Prague? No, it was Paris. It was Paris. And then we were in the hotel room. It was about probably 2 or 3 in the morning. 
You know, Savion's very spontaneous. He's not going to just be like, oh, I got this. He, he'll, like, tell you, like, oh, tomorrow we're going to go do, like, Carnegie Hall. I forgot to tell you <laughs> tomorrow. And I'm, so well, that's he, nice. <laughs> yeah, so we was in there. He was like, hey, you know, um, I'm doing a show, another show with my director from Five Guys Named Mo and Jetty Slash Jam by the name of um, George C. Wolf. We're doing another show. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it's going to be. But I just want y'all to just be in it, be a part of it. We'll figure something out. And and um, it was bringing the noise, bringing the funk. But now, now, as you go, how old are you? <laughs> Come on, tell me. It's okay. I'm 30-something. Okay, I'm a grown he's 30, man. He's 30-something wearing a hat with us. What does the C stand for, anyway? Um, the C actually stands for chocolate for me, but it's a store. I forgot the store name, and it started with a C. So that's why I got the hat. But I got the hat for the C that stands for chocolate. Okay, now I want everybody to listen to the next uh, ooh, next part of your life. Okay. Your band. Okay. You want to introduce them? Yeah, Tell sure. Tell us about who they are and what they're about. Inbox. Inbox. Um, I came across this idea a couple of years back. To um, I wanted to just have a band of just not just rappers, not just singers, not just instruments, but all of it together. So um, during the course of the time, I came across... Um, Great musicians, and not only great musicians, but also great spirits. You know, because I know a lot of guys that are great musicians, but their spirit sucks. You know, um, and these guys, um, the reason why I, I roll with them, as we would say in the streets, or I, I pick them to be a part of this inbox thing, is because not only of their musician skills, but their character skills and understanding what it takes to, to you know, to, to, to make it, to, to, to get there. You know, and I, la- I made a lot of mistakes coming up myself. So now I'm at the point to where I learned a lot. So now the only thing I can deal with is people that understand what I understand. And um, so we've been playing for a while, for about two years now, maybe a year and a half. Um, we've been rocking all over the city. We've been rocking everywhere. And um, here we are, Inbox. You know? And now we're going to listen to them. Gerard, a bucket drummer whose street music on New York streets and subways has taken him to Broadway, television, and Hollywood. But it wasn't easy, and some credit belongs to the Greater Tabernacle Church in the Bronx, doesn't it? Yes, that's where I grew up at. Holy Tell time. us about it. Tell us about growing up. Wow, well, growing up in church actually taught me everything I know about music. You know, um, in church, you know, it wasn't... One thing I loved about church is that we played a lot of different styles. Like in church, you learn jazz, you learn rock, you learn everything, you know. And um, that's basically as a kid, running up to the drum set after church until I was old enough to play for the junior choir. And I'm following behind the footsteps of my cousin by the name of Martin Luther King, by the way. Not the Martin Luther King, but his name is Martin Luther King. I suspect he was named after uh, someone by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Probably so. Probably my aunt. Um, He was born around that time, so maybe that was why my aunt did it. And um, from there, that's where I learned all my skills. Well, wait a minute. We have to go back a little bit. You learned some of your skills at McDonald's. 
Oh yeah, yeah. My yeah, dad. I, I have to I have to re, re remind you about that. Yeah. Let's yeah. start with McDonald's. Yeah. Well, my dad said when I was about three years old, he would take me to McDonald's, and um, every time he would buy a Big Mac or, or a meal back then, they would come in the foam cartons, and he said I would take the straws, and I would start banging on them. I would put them all together on the t- on the table, and I would start banging on them with the straws and making rhythms out of them. Me, I've, I remember a little bit, but I don't remember that much. But my dad said that's when I that's when he first had the idea that he should buy me a drum set. And from then, he brought me a drum set every year until I was about about 12. And your dad also was responsible for you um, playing at, at the church, wasn't it? Because he was a pastor there. Um, no, my dad actually was a minister there. A minister there. And um, he, you know, no one made us. It's just, you know, it was just the drums is something that, I never remember like, oh, that's drums. I like that. I want to learn that. It was just growing up as I learned how to walk, as I learned how to talk, as I learned how to do anything else. Um, I, the drums came with it. So I like grew up just playing. I don't never remember ever being without the rhythm inside me and not knowing how to play. It's just as I grew and, up. And the church, you were always, you always, there you were in the middle of, I mean, it was rough when you were young. The city was tough, and the church kept you from from being out in the streets where you didn't belong, right? Um, well, actually, the church yeah. nurtured nurtured my talent. What kept me out of the streets from where I wasn't, where I didn't belong, was playing downtown on Forty Second Street every day because we made money. Church was once a week, maybe twice, but every day I would be I wouldn't be up uptown in Harlem in the projects. We would be downtown, Times Square playing buckets, making money, meeting people, you know. So that's what kept, kept me out of the streets. The buckets saved me, you know, to be honest with you, because I was for a second going down the wrong path, trying to, you know, sell drugs and follow my friends. I seen them with the jackets and the girls and the sneakers. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. You know, we weren't poor, poor, but we, you know, you know, you're a kid. You want, you see the new Jordans, you want to get them right away. 150 bucks at least back Tell me then. about it. Tell me about it. And, um... Mike, we're talking about Michael Jordan, so people should know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, from there, you know, um, the, the streets just kept me out, kept, just kept me, you know, going. Because, I, like I said, excuse me, I was going down the wrong road for a second, trying to sell drugs. One of my friends was a drug dealer, and he was doing all right. And, you know, we were really cool. So I was like, hey, put me down. Let me. So I started. I probably sold drugs for about a month. After that, I, I started going downtown. and I don't understand. A month. What, what do you yeah. mean a month? What makes you stop after one month? Um, that's when I started really going and playing in the streets. You know, it, it, it was literally about a month. I, my friend, I met my friend in school. He was cool for a while. He was the coolest dude and everybody liked him. So finally, I was like, you know, let me let me work with you. Let me, I want to make some money. So he was like, all right. We cut school. We would go to the projects and we would stand on this bridge towards Island and, um, and we would hustle right there. And um, what made me stop, too, is, is you know, the, the, the violence as well. But right during that time, I also started playing Buckets in the Streets. And I, I, I remember, like, I remember the exact day. The first day that I played Buckets in the Streets was, was on a Saturday. My brother and I went downtown. And um, on a Saturday, right at 42nd Street, Times Square. And I never went back to Wars Island Bridge. I've never been back there since. Ever. Never. And that, that was like, that was a blessing, and I was a savior. Because all my friends had been in jail, a couple did a couple of years, and that could have been me. Some of them even got killed, 
you know, and that could have been me as well. And by me, like, having a love for the rhythm and playing buckets and making money downtown in Times Square, you know. My problem with the police was getting tickets for street performing and loud noise. It wasn't for violence and things like that. So, you know, that's a blessing. And, and, I'm, and I'm proud to say that, that, you know, buckets saved me. My bucket drumming saved me. And now you're in partners with your, with your dad. Yes, that's my business partner and my best friend. And soon uh, there'll be three children. One of them, one of them is going to, you, the son is going to, you're smiling. I guess you yes. want to you see him someday doing the same thing you're doing, right? Yes. Well, my son, Jared, actually, um, born on my birthday, has my same name. His name is Jared Crawford. He um, plays on a Vegas trip. He lives in Las Vegas with his mom. And um, he actually plays on, on the Vegas trip on Fremont, Fremont Avenue. So if anybody's out there and you see a, a yellow kid with long dreadlocks, just say, hey, Jared. I heard of your dad chocolate on the radio, and he'll he'll say hey, and just make sure you give him what's in your wallet. <laughs> well, we'll we'll tell him, Chocolate Jared, the master of the bucket drums. Thanks for sharing your professional and personal life with us. Yes, inbox. I would definitely like to um to shout out my band. You know, John Fubach, Charlie Valentine, Renee Rodriguez, aka DJ Specific, Greg Reyes, Michael Collins, and. I think that's it. Mitch Caddy. Okay. Yes. My band consists of Joanna Walper, who's a senior producer of our program, and Doug Doyle is the executive producer. Conrad Saguenetti is our engineer, and Dana and Dana Damiani is our production associate. If you missed any part of our program, you can hear it all again 24-7 on WBGO.org, or you can Google us on Conversations with Alan Walper, or you can subscribe free of charge on iTunes. Until 7.30 next Tuesday night, I'm Alan Walper. Special thanks to Phantom Audio, a full-service production studio in New York's Flatiron District. And support for Conversations with Alan Wolper has been provided by the Blanche and Irving Laurie Foundation.